This is the Out of Character Podcast. Introducing your host, Brian Colbert. Welcome, world. Welcome to another episode of the Out of Character Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 30. Episode 30 of the Out of Character Podcast. Wow, man. 30 episodes has flown by. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host as always, Brian Colbert. My friends call me BC. You can call me BC too if you're listening. If you're listening, we appreciate you for listening. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. Thank you for being here for 30 episodes. 30 episodes, man. It, It went by so fast, but that is a lot of content. Because we haven't even been here for a year yet, ladies and gentlemen. 30 episodes. Thank you guys so much. We cannot do this without the loyal listeners, the loyal followers, the loyal supporters, the people that watch it, that listen. Thank y'all so much for being a part of this, man. This has been so much fun, ladies and gentlemen. We have a lot to get into. 30 episodes got to be special, right? So we got a lot to get into today, man. We tried to jam a ton of stuff in here, man. So we're going to try to get to it all quickly. First things first, ladies and gentlemen. It is not only a special episode, but it is a special week. Because my little man, my five-year-old son, started kindergarten, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, your boy BC has a whole kindergartner. He's going to kindergarten, which means he's getting older, which means I'm getting older, ladies and gentlemen. But it is a beautiful thing because it is just amazing to see your child progress through life and get older. Because as they get older, they begin to show you all. Their personalities. They begin to show you all what they are about. They begin to show you the type of people that they are going to grow up to be. Because yes, as parents, you try your best to guide them and steer them in the right direction. However, your kids ultimately are going to decide on their own who and what they want to be. So ladies and gentlemen, when I think of him going to kindergarten, I just get so excited, man. I get emotional. I get so happy. And I had the pleasure of flying out there and taking him to his first day of kindergarten. It was very, very important to me. It was very, very important to him, man. We, it's just a little thing that hopefully we can do forever. Hopefully I can take him to every first day of school. Yes, I'm not going to be able to take him to school every day because we do not live in the same state. But the least I can do is be there for his first day, take him there, and also pick him up. I love it. It's just it's so exciting for me because as, as a kid, especially as a kindergartner, You're very, very excited for the first day. I mean, even as you progress through high school, you might not be a huge fan of school, but that first day just hits different, right? Because you got your fit laid out on your bed, right? You got your brand new shoes. You got your new backpack. You got your school supplies. You are always excited for your first day. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, my little man was super excited to go to kindergarten and be a big kid because in his mind, being a kindergartner means that he is a young adult, right? That means he's getting older. It's proof in the pudding, right? I'm a kindergartner now, daddy. So excited to be a kindergartner so I take him to his first day and there's still like a little bit of social distancing going on you know we all wear masks so we couldn't get too close to the school I haven't even actually been inside the school but we drop him off take a couple pictures and then we give him to his teacher and then he's off he's gone ladies and gentlemen and then a million thoughts Start flowing through your mind as a parent. One, I'm proud, right? Look at my little man go. Man, he looks fresh. He got on the brand new Nikes, you know what I'm saying? He looking fly. He ready, hair done up, you know what I'm saying? Got the fresh butter cut. You know, he is ready for school and I'm proud. Then I also think, dang, I was a kindergartner once. I too had this same moment where my parents took me to school and dropped me off. But ladies and gentlemen, what happened to me when I started kindergarten first grade, second grade, third grade, pretty much all the way to like my junior year of high school. I had a really hard time in school, not because of the scholastic part. I was really good at that. I made sure I got good grades because if I didn't, my dad was going to tear me apart. So I had to make sure I had good grades. But one thing I always struggled with in school was authority, was following instruction, was doing what I was told to do the first time. And a big, big part of that was me talking in class. Surprise, surprise, ladies and gentlemen, I love to talk. I have a lot to say. And I've been this way my whole life. Ever since I was a little kid, I always had a lot to say. And, you know, not to toot my own horn, I was a very, very smart kid, especially young. Like, I was very advanced, so I would just rush through work. I would just get work done. It was just super easy to me. But sometimes my peers didn't always finish as fast as me, but that didn't matter to me. Once I was done, the whole class was done. So it was time for me to perform, ladies and gentlemen. I've been entertaining my whole life. So the minute... I had energy and time to put into making my peers laugh, into entertaining my peers, ladies and gentlemen, I took advantage of it, even in kindergarten. That was just the type of kid I was. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've heard me talk about my son before, you have heard me say 
that he is my twin. I call him twin. He is so much like me. He doesn't just look like me, the handsome young fella, but he also acts like me in so many different ways. Our interests are so much aligned. It's crazy. It feels like really he was just stripped from me. Like he's just another attachment of me. We're so much alike. So when it comes to school, I always get a little nervous for him because I'm like, man, I remember how hard of a time I gave my parents and these teachers when it came to school. I wonder if my son is going to have those same problems. Because much like me, he loves making people laugh. He loves being entertaining. He he loves making jokes. He, and he loves talking. He loves telling stories much like his dad. And he comes by honestly, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, this is me. He is a reflection of me. So he acts just like his dad. He's a chip off the old block. So I get it. I understand. And I anticipated my son getting to kindergarten and having a rough time as well. You know, there's a lot of structure in kindergarten. There's a lot of rules. And my son is a free spirit. And he's also a very smart young man. So sometimes he gets hit with things. Somebody says something. Somebody, you know, directs him to do something. And he has questions. He wants to know why. You can't just tell him what to do. You have to be able to explain the things you tell my son because he's a man of logic. And I respect it and I appreciate it because too many times kids are not allowed to have thoughts or ideas. And I feel like it just follows them through adulthood. They don't know how to think for themselves. They don't know how to ask questions. They don't know how to be individuals. They just follow the pack. They just follow rules. They just follow authority. And maybe that's a good thing to most people, but I appreciate those who are able to think for themselves and go against the grain sometimes. And ladies and gentlemen, that is what I see my son as because I see the energy. I see the spark. I see the flare. And then I think about kindergarten and say, oh, damn, he gonna have it rough. So, ladies and gentlemen, I have been thinking about this the entire time I was coming to pick up my little man. And so, 3 o'clock comes, school is out, and it is time for me to get my son. And I'll be honest, ladies and gentlemen, when I drop my son off at school, I am bored as hell because I have nothing to do until it's time for me to pick up my child. So, I'll be honest, I picked him up a little early. I definitely picked him up before school was out. I picked him up at like 2.30, I lied to y'all. I did pick him up a little early, but it's because I was so excited to see my little man. And plus... Maybe I get a chance to get some one-on-one -on -one time with his teacher, who I have not met yet. I have not met his teacher yet. So I pull up at 2.30, get to the door, you know, knock on it, say, hey, I'm here to pick up my son. And the teacher brings out my son. And immediately, right away, I see two things. One, I see a huge smile, which doesn't just mean he was happy to see me, which I'm sure he was, but it means that he had an excellent day. The second thing, I saw that also indicated to me that he had an excellent day was my little man had a gold star on the center of his forehead. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, my son is a gold star student. So he walks out and immediately I just know my son had a great day and I see his teacher there and I shake her hand. She was a nice young lady. And I said, how did, how did my son do? Did he do okay? And she said, oh, he did excellent. He was a gold star student because he was a leader is what she told me. And I was ecstatic. I said he listened. I said he followed instructions. Little man, you had a good time. And he said, yes, daddy, I had a good time. And the teacher said, yes, he listened and followed instructions. And I was elated because once again, my son has proven that he is not only just like me, but he is also the better version of me. And I said, oh, ladies and gentlemen, I said, oh, we good. This man has all of the charming qualities of his dad and none of the bad. This is amazing. He's going to breeze through school. He's going to be a scholar, ladies and gentlemen. These are all the things that go through my head the minute she tells me how good my son did. And I'm hyped. We go get some chicken. We go get some ice cream. We go have ourselves a blast. Because I wanted him to know how important and imperative it is for him to do good in school. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm honest with him, okay? I don't just tell him to do good in school because it's what dad said to do. I keep it a buck with him. I said, brother, if you listen, if you get good grades, if you do your homework, if you just do the bare minimum, which that's all it is. We don't realize that as kids. We're going to elementary school, even going to middle school. It is the bare minimum. We don't be asked to do much. There's not much responsibility. So I tell him, son, if you can do the bare minimum, you will have the world. Any shoes you want, the car of your choosing when it's time for you to drive, a nice allowance, You'll get to play sports, you'll get to have video games, you'll get to have TVs, you'll get to have all these things. All you have to do is the bare minimum. And ladies and gentlemen, I think it got into him because, man, did he not have an excellent first day. So, ladies and gentlemen, 
I have to go back to Connecticut after taking to his first day, regrettably, and I get home and there is this little, you know, technology is awesome, right? Technology is great because we have this little app now for his kindergarten where I can see pictures of the kids, where I can get updates about the day that they had and where teachers can directly message the parents. Which for me is amazing because now I can be in touch with how my son did. I can ask every day if I want to, how did Dami do today? And ladies and gentlemen, that second day, I reached out to the teacher. I said, um, so how Dom do on his second day? And the teacher said, oh, he did great. He had an excellent day. Kept it very, very short. I said, cool. I talked to my little man on the phone. We FaceTime like we do every night. I said, brother, how did you do? And one thing about my son, which is just amazing, something I respect and appreciate so much, is he does not lie to me when it comes to school. Especially when we're over the phones. I think he knows he's safe, like no matter what, like I can't go swinging or nothing like that. But he always tells me exactly what happened, whether he's in preschool, kindergarten, daycare. He lets me know if or not he had a bad day. I've always respected and appreciated that about him. So I asked him, how was your day at school? He doesn't know that I have direct communication with his teacher like that. You know, he wasn't paying attention. So how was your day, man? And he said, you know, it was pretty good. And usually when my son says pretty good, that means that like one or two things had happened during the day that maybe I wouldn't consider having a good day. So I said, son, so what happened? He said, oh, one, one thing happened. I got put in timeout for talking. That's what he told me. Now, granted, like I said, I had just asked his teacher how he was doing. And she said he had a great day. So, something's not adding up. But I don't tell him that. You know, I keep this. I said, you went to timeout? He said, yes. I went to timeout, dad. But I think the teacher had me confused. Because she said she put me in timeout for talking. But it wasn't even me talking. It was so-and-so. And I'll be honest. My son dimed his friend out. He dimed his friend out immediately. So if he dimed him out to me, I know he dimed him out to the teacher. We got to work on the tattletone thing. That's not something we've been able to come across yet. But my son told me immediately, it wasn't me. It was so-and-so. And I said, hmm, interesting. Is this just made up? You know kids like to tell stories. They like to have fun. Did his friend just get into timeout when my son wanted to feel involved? Is the teacher not telling me my son got into timeout because maybe she did make a mistake and unrightfully put my son in timeout, which I would have an issue with. But maybe she realized the mistake of her ways and decided not to tell me about it just so she wouldn't stir the pot up. Because putting a kid in timeout on accident on the day number two, it's a five-year-old's day number two. And you, not only are you putting a child in timeout on day number two, but you accidentally put the wrong child in. Now, granted, it is kindergarten, so these kids could be wild and be going up a frenzy. I don't blame her for getting the wrong kid. I just wish it wasn't mine. But, ladies and gentlemen, I let it go. Because with kids, you know, you never really know what's going on. And like I said, it's just the second day. It is not time for me to rock the boat. Who would rock the boat so early? Day one, day two, day three. The first week. You try to keep things pretty casual and calm. You know what I'm saying? It's like we all just first meet. It's like we're all just first dating, right? My son's dating the school. My son's dating the teacher. They're trying to figure themselves out, right? We know how those first couple of dates are. And this is what this is the period we're in right now. So day three comes along. And I get a message. I get a message from my son's teacher. Granted, day three is a Friday. This is Friday. She sends me a message. I don't even think school is out yet. And says, hey, Mr. Cobra, I wanted to let you know that your son had a hard time at school today. He wanted to continue talking in class and did not listen when instructed to stop. This isn't a huge deal, but we would love for you to talk to him about this so that it gets corrected over the weekend. Thank you. Have a good day is what the teacher sent to me. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the third day of kindergarten. These are five-year-old young men and women that have been on summer vacation for months. Haven't had much rule or structure, I'm assuming. Have been on playgrounds, been in pools, been at bowling parties, things of that nature. And I am getting a message from my son's kindergarten teacher on the third day 
And much like all these other moments we've talked about in this episode, my mind continues to race. And I start thinking about all kinds of things. First thing, of course, is damn. Maybe my son does have the gene that I have where I'm just, was a little bit of a disturbance in class. And maybe my son has become a disturbance himself. Damn. But I don't blame him, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, I know that he comes by this honestly. I know that he is a chip off the old block. And just like all the other things that we have similar, this is just one of those things. So how can I be mad at him? How can I be upset with him for doing something that just seems to be in his DNA? Now, of course, I want to speak with him and talk to him to help him because I don't want life to be hard because he's not able to follow instructions. We all have to follow instructions. That's just part of life. But I am not upset. And then I think, huh, this is only the third day. Why does she feel she needs to message me and tell me that my son is having an issue not talking to his friends in class and also instructing me to figure it out before the weekend's over? Because day four, this better not be happening. This is a no-nonsense type kindergarten teacher is what I'm getting now. But ladies and gentlemen, the crazy part is she just has the wrong parent. She has the wrong parent because I am not, at least not yet. I'm just not the parent that's going to like immediately side with the teacher. I'm probably the last parent out of all the parents in her class that is going to decide to side with her on issues that my son has. Now, there are just certain things that I will not stand for. I will not allow my son to disrespect any adult, especially not a woman. Not okay. He knows this. I will not allow my son to physically assault or hurt somebody and start a fight. I always tell him, if somebody starts a fight, you better finish it, but don't you ever start a fight. There are definitely things that are non-negotiables in my household that my son is very well aware of. But I feel like as a five-year-old, he's allowed to talk every now and then. He's allowed to talk to his friends. He's allowed to have a little fun. And maybe I have a soft spot because my parents beat me down so hard for just having this little bit of personality. And maybe it was annoying because they probably got called like at least once or twice a week. Like for a long time, like for years. I was a menace. I was constantly doing things. A teacher threw a chair at me. I was, I was a menace, I'll, I'll admit. But I also do not see that in my son. I do not see him being a menace like I was. I just really don't. I see him maybe having a hard time sitting still and listening. But nothing to the lines of which I was, so I can't beat him down that bad. I gotta be there for him, I gotta understand. So ladies and gentlemen, when she sends me this message, I feel like she thinks I'm going to be like, oh, I will rectify this immediately. I will fix this immediately. Don't you worry about it, Miss Teacher. How dare he talk to his friends on day three as a five-year-old? That's what I think she thought my response was. But ladies and gentlemen, I have learned very, very quickly on day three that that's just not my jam. I was offended that this teacher had the audacity to complain about my child day three. You got to be talking to somebody else, lady, right? Are all these other parents getting messages like I'm getting? Or are you singling my boy out? Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, like I said, my mind was racing. And I thought of all these things. But... Like I said, it is just day three, ladies and gentlemen. It is just day three. And sometimes you gotta pick and choose your battles. And I have handled certain situations in my past bad before where I responded with emotion, maybe a little bit of anger, maybe said a few things I wish I could have back. And those things have affected me in certain ways. Maybe I missed out on an opportunity or two. Maybe I do not have a certain relationship anymore. You know, maybe certain friends aren't around anymore. Maybe certain jobs don't exist anymore because of the way I've responded in the past. But ladies and gentlemen, my son goes to an all black private school. The last thing I want to do is flame up his kindergarten teacher for getting out of pocket day three 
because he still has to stay in this school. He is going to be in this school for years to come. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be honest, I picked my battles and I decided to let his mother handle it. And I sat this one out. But let me tell y'all, in that moment in time, oh, I was furious. How dare you come at my child for having personality? He was probably making the kids laugh. You were probably boring, Kim. All of these things I thought. But ladies and gentlemen, as I was able to sit back and reflect on the situation, I realized she wasn't messaging me for it to be personal about my son. At least I hope not. She was messaging me because I am his parent, because I am his father. I am the person that the Lord chose to guide this young man into adulthood. So I did have to sit and have a conversation with my son and correct his actions. Didn't yell at him. Didn't call him any names. Didn't even punish him. We just sat and had a conversation. And even amongst the conversation, I could see how devastated my son was that for a second, maybe daddy wasn't so proud of him anymore. But I made sure he knew, son, there's nothing a teacher's going to tell me that's going to make me not proud of you. Nothing. There is nothing you can do that will keep me from loving you or being proud of you. And the same goes for your mother, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles. We all love you. We're all here for you. But brother, man, don't make your life harder. That's what I told him. I said, bro, don't make your life harder. All you got to do is listen to this lady. Because she's snitching. She's snitching off the rip. And I'm going to hear everything. And she already done let me know. Oh, Mr. Colbert, you could come sit in his class. Brother, man, you don't want me to sit in your classes. I promise. That is embarrassing for both of us. And I don't want to sit in your class either. I had to go through kindergarten, bro. I had. To. I already did that. And me and him had all this talk. And he felt me. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the weekend. And I will have to update you on how things go. Because right now it's in the air. I am not ready to say that my son is a chip off the old block when it comes to being a disturbance in class. I am not ready to put that negative energy on my son just yet, ladies and gentlemen. But what I will do is I will keep y'all updated on his progress because this is just the beginning. He's in kindergarten. We got first grade. We got second grade. We got puberty. We got so many other things. And I promise you, the Out of Character Podcast will be around for all that, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 30. Episode 30, ladies and gentlemen, of your favorite podcast, your mama's favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, your lady's favorite podcast, the Out of Character Podcast. As always, I am your host, and I am so honored, and I am so grateful, and I am so happy to be here with y'all for 30 episodes. My name is Brian Colbert. My friends call me BC. You can call me BC, too, if you're listening. If you're listening... We appreciate you for listening. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We hope you've enjoyed thus far 30 episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, 30 episodes. That is nuts. That is crazy. You know how hard it is to keep something going for a year, for two years, for three years, for 30 episodes? It's tough. There's a lot of things that could stop you from continuing something that you love. From continuing stuff that makes you paper. From continuing doing things that you thought you'd be able to do forever, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot take things for granted at all. Some things that I thought would never leave existence have left us. Have come, have gone, have returned. And ladies and gentlemen, recently one of those things that I thought would be a staple of American culture. That I thought was ironclad. That was untouchable. Nothing could break this thing is what I said to myself. This one thing, ladies and gentlemen, is OnlyFans. If you don't know what OnlyFans is, ladies and gentlemen, before I continue, I will explain it to you. OnlyFans was created to bring celebrities and influencers closer to their audience. It allowed this creator, this influencer, this celebrity, this athlete to make content and allow it to be private so that followers, fans, friends, family, could pay for this specific content, five, six, ten dollars. Maybe it's a monthly subscription, and they would be able to view this exclusive access content. That's what OnlyFans was initially supposed to be. But like Americans always do, we find a way to just slut things up, don't we? We just find ways to make like the most innocent, friendly things nasty, don't we? And that's what we did with OnlyFans, ladies and gentlemen. That is what happened with OnlyFans. 
OnlyFans began to solicit pornography, essentially. Young starving artists, maybe. Young strippers that are trying to get themselves through law school. I'm sure all of these young ladies had great intentions when they began busting it open on OnlyFans. And let me tell y'all, the pandemic was perfect for this OnlyFans resurgence. Because ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, it seemed as if every single young lady that was single and had a fat ass that I followed started to make their OnlyFans. All the strippers that I know, because somehow, some way in Omaha, Nebraska, it, it breeds a lot of strippers. So I know a lot of strippers respectfully, man. They're great people. They're nice young ladies. So I know a lot of strippers. And it seemed as if all of these strippers... Oh, I ain't busting it down on the Rhino no more. I'm going to bust it down at the crib in front of my cell phone camera for my OnlyFans. Just get the direct money. F the middleman. F the club tax. I'm going to bust it open on my bedroom seats. And that is what strippers from all around the world did. And not just strippers. Artists did. Influencers did this. There would just be videos of people's feet. As we all know, maybe you don't know, ladies and gentlemen, porn is a huge, huge, I think it's the biggest business in America, actually. Definitely be the most profitable. And pornography slid right into OnlyFans. And I'm not trying to be nasty, but it did. It slid right into OnlyFans and it made a killing. I think it was like over $2 billion was made from the porn industry on OnlyFans. $2 billion. And that was done in just a year's time, ladies and gentlemen. So you see something like that. You hear the word two billion. Oh my goodness. You hear the number two billion. Good Lord. And you say, that's not going nowhere because money talk in America, right? OnlyFans ain't going nowhere. Wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, OnlyFans said, you know what? We pulling the plug. All money ain't good money and OnlyFans said, you know what? There will be no more pornography. There will be no more busting it open. There will be no more naked twerk videos on our site anymore. And ladies and gentlemen, as you could imagine, the freaks came out. They went crazy. Twitter, Instagram. I don't know if OnlyFans has a customer service, but if they did, I promise you, their lines have never been busier. People from all around the world were outraged that their favorite porn stars could not have direct access to them and vice versa. People were furious. And sometimes, just sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes in our culture, if you make enough people mad, if you ruffle enough feathers, and if you take enough money out of the wrong person's pocket, ladies and gentlemen, we will see what we would call a change of heart from some of these CEOs, from some of these businessmen that own these huge corporations. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we saw. In less than a week, OnlyFans rescinded their original claim to no more porno and said, you know what? Bust it open if you want to. Bust it open if you want to. Porn for everybody. Who cares? Now, originally, they said they were going to take down porn from OnlyFans because they were having a hard time keeping underage people from being solicited on there and also from participating which sounds very commendable which sounds like a good enough reason for everybody to understand hey kids are in danger let's not do this on OnlyFans there's plenty of other sites to get this done but if OnlyFans is telling you hey kids could be in danger maybe you would listen and that is what OnlyFans told us but in less than a week's time OnlyFans decided that it was in their best interest and the public's best interest to open back up. The kids will be okay. The kids will be fine. They'll be fine. So what? It's what OnlyFans essentially said. They backtracked in less than a week, ladies and gentlemen, because people were so outraged. You know how many nasty individuals had to have been at their door? Had to have been blowing them up and complaining? Well, that number is the same number of people that did not care that maybe their child could be a danger one day. That maybe their child is currently endangered now. Or maybe that's somebody else's child or their cousin or their sister or their brother or even their parents maybe. Who knows? Because if kids are in danger, there's got to be some other wild shit going on, right? We could assume so. 
Or maybe you don't assume so. Maybe you are so upset that your favorite porn star ain't shaking her cheeks in HD for you right on your phone that it didn't matter to you. And I feel like we're seeing that a lot. Seeing that a lot. It was just Women's Appreciation Day not too long ago, right? And we talked a few episodes ago about trying to teach my son and the youth and honestly just going out and trying to believe that certain societal rules and standards that we have made for ourselves for decent human beings exist we talked about that right we said that oh men and women are created equal right that's a real thing but we talked about how it's not we talked about a ton of ways how men and women aren't created equal how people in general aren't treated as equals and that all of these cute and frilly things we taught our kids that we were taught as kids just aren't true or just lies and so you see something like only fans right maybe they changed their software i'm not really sure but in seven days can you really make that much of a difference all i know is within seven days they looked at that 2.1 billion dollars and said you know what i think we need this money i think we need this money fuck the kids right and too many times do we see money and numbers outweigh humanity? Outweigh basic civility? And we're seeing it at my alma mater, at the University of Nebraska. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that was a segue. We are seeing women, young women, underage kids. These are kids being not cared about, being treated as secondary to economic impact. Ladies and gentlemen, right now, there are students of all races, cultures, and creeds protesting on the streets of the University of Nebraska, Lincoln's campus, because yet again, a young lady, an underage young lady, was sexually assaulted in a frat house. And ladies and gentlemen, as you all know, and maybe you don't know, I went to the University of Nebraska. I was a minority who went to the University of Nebraska and who got to see just how nasty an establishment is like that. Oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's nasty. And I'm not just saying it's just University of Nebraska. I'm sure it's probably all over the world. It would suck if it's all over the world, but nothing shows me that. Nothing that we've seen in this world shows me that. it's This is like a finite situation now recently a 70 year old young lady accused a young frat boy at the university of nebraska of rape why is it cause for people to be out on the streets protesting why does that matter this just happened once right no greek role in general at the university of nebraska is known for its constant constant sexual assault cases but nothing has ever been done as far as I've known. When I was there for four years, I never saw a white frat house get suspended. I never saw a white frat house be reprimanded. Some of the most wild things these white people would do, racist things, drawing the N-word on their buildings, nothing happened to these people ever. And the same would go with sexual assault cases with these campuses. And I don't know if it's because a lot of the police officers are ex-frat boys, which they are. I don't know if it's because some of these frat members have so much money tied into the institution that, that any type of rape accusation would cause them to lose millions. I'm sure of it. Maybe, who knows what it is? Who knows why people do shitty things? But let me tell you more about what happened. This 17-year-old girl told officers that she and an 18-year-old acquaintance had gone to this frat house. The alleged assault occurred after the acquaintance left, so her friend left her there and probably thinking she knew knows this guy that she's safe she was sexually assaulted when she was left alone now granted ladies and gentlemen campus just opened up monday so this is less than a week's time that a sexual assault case has been put out on the university of nebraska so this fraternity is the university of nebraska lincoln's chapter of phi gamma delta fraternity they're commonly known as fiji and has a long history of inappropriate conduct, including sexual harassment. Now, I will say that since this rape allegation became like national news, this Fiji 
fraternity has been suspended. Now, you might say, okay, well, there's something. They got suspended. There's action right there. But let me tell you a little something about somebody that was in a fraternity on this campus. Me, I'm in a historically black fraternity, the greatest fraternity in the world, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Shout out to Phi Beta Sigma. And I'll tell you right now, we didn't have much representation at all on that campus. Not one MPHC organization is on this campus. They don't have a house, a statue, <laughs> a banner, nothing. Where There's no representation on that campus. But what there is, is there's this long street called Greek Row. And on each side are their fraternity and sorority houses. And of course, they're all predominantly white. Now, one thing you know as a black student there unless you have like mad white roommates or you're from Nebraska and you knew somebody that knew somebody, nine times out of 10, you're not going to be welcome into this fraternity or sorority. A lot of times they'd have their like one token person just to say they had one, but we all knew, especially as a black man, we all knew to stay away from Greek row, especially at night when they drinking, because we're not going to be welcome in their parties. We're not allowed to be around their women. And they'll tell you straight up, these white boys will come to you straight up. Deep, of course, 10, 12 deep and say, hey, man, you got to get out of here. We ain't got enough women here for y'all. That's the energy on Greek Row. And everybody knows this, right? Everybody knows this. And also, it's commonly known that Greek Row is not a safe place to be a young lady. Now, I know skeptics may ask, well, why do these women continue to go to these proud houses, blah, blah, blah. You're an idiot if you ask that. Because we know what culture and society is like. We know what peer pressure is like. We know when you're a young person or whether it's a young lady or a young man you're not always going to make the best decisions that's what being a young college student is about right but people will ask that like oh well they shouldn't be there anyway if they're in danger blah blah no something should be done but for years and years and years nothing was done people older than me people younger than me people the same age as me i know so many young women that have horror stories from fraternities up and down greek but they don't say anything because they feel their voices won't be heard. Because time and time again, the young ladies that did say something, they got kicked out of their own sororities. They got shunned. They weren't allowed to come to parties anymore. And nothing happened to the fraternities. So if this is decades, decades of young ladies' voices not being heard, you know these young ladies are getting told during their rush periods, during their times of joining these organizations, like, hey man, you better be careful. If something happens to you, you better not say nothing. And that's the conversation. Because there's so much to lose. Status, friendships, parties, all these things that as young men and women we think are important. So of course these young women didn't know what to do. But let me tell you, it's something that is so bad. People have finally said they have had enough and they are protesting. Let me tell y'all, young women have died on Greek Road. Unexplainably. Oh, they were overly drunk. Oh, they were too drunk. But then when you look into the actual reports, foul play seems to always be in the mix when it involves these fraternities. And of course, not every frat boy is bad. Of course, not every white fraternity is bad. Not every black fraternity is great. Everybody, every chapter, there's chapters all over the world. And they all represent their own body of people, their own student body. So let me not get misconstrued and make it sound like I just think every frat boy in the world's a rapist. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is there was a common problem on this university's campus. And once again, these children and their safety was pushed aside because of money because of relationships because nobody wants to put fiji in a bad light they got donors out the ass millions of dollars comes from this frat house we can't make them seem like they don't care about women's safety we can't do that so let's not say anything now i know i'm talking good game like how brian how do you know how do you know that all of this takes place at the University of Nebraska, outside of the fact that there's people on the streets right now protesting. Outside of that, outside of the obvious. Well, as a young journalist student, one of the classes that was required for me to take was sociology of crime. And sociology of crime was a very, very interesting class. And I wasn't very huge on my, you know, college classes. I didn't really pay attention a lot. But in this class, 
this class was just a little different because this class broke down why criminals do the things they do. And it's not just like your everyday criminal. It's not like you're just your robber or your car thief. This is white collar crimes. This is why people in the stock market, you know, make corporate crimes, you know, things like that. We were just learning about the way that these criminals think. And fortunately enough, my teacher was a woman. And I believe she was also from Nebraska. And I also believe she went to the University of Nebraska. And for a whole week, our lessons were about rape culture in America. Why rapists do what they do. Why women can be found in situations where they ended up getting assaulted by somebody that they trusted or cared about. And also why rape And also why rape is one of those accusations that seems to be so hard to convict people, to find people that are guilty, especially on the University of Nebraska campus. This is things she was teaching us. So one day we were in class and you know, we all had our computers out and she said, I want you guys to pull up this website. Now I don't remember the website, this was years ago, but it was a crime tracker website that tells you about crime going on whether it's in your state, whether it's in your city, whether it's in another city, it will show you this map and then little red flags and little colorful different things would appear on this map as indicators of crime that had happened. And this professor said, I want you guys to put in University of Nebraska. I don't even think it was University of Nebraska. I think it was actually streets. So from this street to this street, I want you to look up sexual assault crimes is what the teacher told us. And it was within the month. We put it in the computer this street to this street. And this happened to be Greek Row. A lot of us didn't realize at the time because, I mean, we, we barely paying attention. We trying to get to the info. We trying to get to the data. But she puts in the street to start Greek Row and then the street to end it. So this is all on campus, mind you. So this is basically the University of Nebraska and all of their sexual assault crimes, right? And this isn't just Greek Row at all. It's showing the entire area. So the stadium, the dorm rooms, all of these different things. So we type in, you know, sexual assault cases and it takes a while to load. And then like slowly, sure, all of our Internet was working faster than the others. Slowly, everybody started to like sigh, like oh, there was gasps everywhere. The amount of red flags, because the red flag indicated that there was a police report and that police had to come out or that police were contacted. The amount of red flags that appeared on that Greek row street from just a month. It wasn't just alarming, it was sickening. It was hundreds, hundreds every week. Dozens of young ladies, especially underage ladies, were reporting to police that they had been sexually assaulted, roofied, raped, hurt, harmed within these frat houses. And this was common knowledge that we could access just as students that my professor knew. She knew so well it was in her curriculum. She had no idea if that week those numbers were going to be high. Every year she probably does this same spiel with her students. And she knew that when we looked at those numbers, they would be staggering enough to make us all gasp. And then she asked us, how many of these cases do you think are reported? You guys will all be in news one day. You guys will all be journalists one day. How many of these cases do you think make it to the desk of a producer, of an assignment editor? And we all knew the answer because we all follow the news. We all have news updates because we're journalists. We're locked in. This is our, this is our job right now. We're in school. We have to stay locked in. And somebody raised a hand and said, none. None of us knew. We're the journalist majors on this campus. We are more tapped in than most people. We're paying attention because we have to. And us as students had no idea this was going on on our campus. Or at least not to the extent. Because like I said, we all had heard stories. We all had seen things. We all had known somebody that, you know, had accusations. But accusations are what they are, right? You never really know what's true or what's not. Especially when it comes to rape. We seem to make all kinds of excuses for people that get accused of rape. But ladies and gentlemen, nothing had been done for these girls. And this was back in 2012, 2013. We're almost in 2022, ladies and gentlemen, and the same things are going on. Which means that in that period of time, in 
more than likely before as well. Children were not being protected. And it's nasty. It's nasty that this continues to happen in our society. We've heard of the Weinsteins. We've heard of the Epsteins. We've heard of the human trafficking amongst kids around this world. And it makes you ask, what can we do to protect our children? The minorities in this country, the disenfranchised people, the people without money. Because clearly money is the driving force in all of this, right? Why else would an institution turn a blind eye to rape? For years, why would they do this? This is their alumni, their future alumni, right? Why would they allow their students to be put in harm? I think we can always attribute things back to money, back to politics, back to relationships. And it's sad. And it's so sad. And all we can do is try to listen and hear these young ladies' stories. And some of these young men's stories too, right? Because it's not just a single gender thing when it comes to like rape and sexual assault. It happens to everybody. But also what we can do is we can support, we can sign petitions. And ladies and gentlemen, there actually is a petition to end this Fiji fraternity's time at the campus of University of Nebraska. Like I said, this is not their first issue. So if you want to support and sign this petition, and the petition is to remove Fiji from the campus of the University of Nebraska. And you might not ever step foot in Nebraska. You might not ever know anybody that went to Nebraska. But let me tell you guys, somebody's daughter, somebody's niece, somebody's sister, somebody's future mother could be in danger. So if you're listening right now, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go to at shutdown Fiji. That's all one word, no underscores on Instagram. Go to at shutdown Fiji. There is a link on their bio. This is on their Instagram. There's a link in their bio at shutdown Fiji. And it's to ban Fiji forever on the campus of University of Nebraska. Right now, it has over 300,000 signatures. 300,000. How many of those 300,000 do you think are young women that were assaulted or raped on that campus? It could be teachers. It could be older women that never felt comfortable saying what happened. 300,000. Clearly there is something wrong. So please, ladies and gentlemen, go to shutdown, at Shutdown Fiji on Instagram and click the link in their bio and just sign the petition. It takes no time at all. You don't have to donate money. You don't have to donate anything, but just, I don't know if this kind of stuff helps, but if it does, you could really help save some young ladies and some young men and their futures because I can't even imagine the trauma that comes with dealing with things like that, especially an institution that you chose to go to. You're there to learn. You're there to have a great time. You're there to experience life. And you can't even feel safe. We've talked about it before, how women and their safety is just so different from men's. Like, like I said, I can go to the grocery store and not have to look over my shoulder every five seconds. Women can't do that. And to me, that's a problem. So please go to at Shutdown Fiji on Instagram. Go to the link in their bio and sign the petition. And maybe, just maybe, we can make a change. We can make a difference. And maybe we can save some lives. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 30. Episode 30 of the Out of Character Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brian Colbert. My friends call me BC. You can call me BC too if you're listening. If you're listening, we appreciate you for listening. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. We hope you're enjoying yourself. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We hope you've enjoyed sticking with us thus far. Like we said, 30 episodes, ladies and gentlemen. We ain't done yet. We got more to get into. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I do not normally do movie reviews. But I'm inspired today. I'm inspired today by the young king named Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele went from being a comedian like slash writer to an actor to having his own shows. And now... He writes and directs movies, horror movies, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, a comedian that writes horror movies, which is just perfect to me because I love both. I love comedy and I love horror, right? So Jordan Peele has given us Get Out, which is just a culture classic already. I don't even think it's been out for 10 years. He gave us Us, which was also a great horror film. And he also decided to bring back a cultural classic, a horror, because we don't have many like cultural horror classics in the black community. 
but Candyman seemed to be one of them for us, right? Because it was like one of our first like black bad guy horror characters. We didn't really get much of that. Because a lot of times, ladies and gentlemen, in these horror films, we notoriously died first as black and brown people. We get killed immediately. It was almost like a running joke in Hollywood. Oh, the black guy's gonna die first. The token black guy that's a part of the crew like that was on the football team and was riding on the school bus with the popular white kids or just the black guy that like just happens to be cool with a bunch of white kids and no other black people. Like it's always that one black guy that's in these horror movies and he always manages to die immediately. And that was always the thing. That was always something that just bothered me because in actuality, in real life, Black people are the most cautious individuals on the planet. If we see a dark hallway and we're by ourselves, if we can't find that light switch, I guarantee you we're not walking down that dark hallway. If we hear a noise downstairs, I guarantee you we're not going downstairs to check on what that noise is. It's just not what black people do. So for Hollywood to make this assumption that black people will always be the first ones to die, as if we were the weak link, has always been asinine to me. So, I was very excited to go watch Candyman. I was so excited. I had to go see it when it premiered. It premiered last night, ladies and gentlemen. And I was so excited to see it that I even opted to sit in the very front row because the, the movie theater was packed. We went to the very last showing and it was still packed, but I didn't care. I could not wait any longer than to see what Jordan Peele's masterful mind did with this movie, Candyman. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell y'all, did not disappoint. It did not disappoint because it was the first horror film I have ever seen where not one black person died. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, let me say that again. Not one black person died. Now, they did show some past things where maybe, allegedly, a black person might have died. But let me tell y'all, none of the main cast, not the patriarch or the matriarch of the movie, not a single person from the main cast was killed. But, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, almost every white character was killed off in this movie. And no, I'm not celebrating white people being killed off. That's crazy. I would never do something like that. But what Jordan Peele managed to do, spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, I'm sorry, spoiler alert. What Jordan Peele managed to do was show white people in their worst states in their worst forms and these were the ones that were getting killed he found a way to turn one of the scariest hood legends we ever had growing up he turned him into almost like a superhero because Candyman would come in and kill off all of the racists all of the trump supporters all of the white people that try to disenfranchise black people and make their lives harder Candyman was there to eliminate them and ladies and gentlemen, I almost wanted to stand up and cheer and applaud. Because wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if there was like just somebody out there, you said his name five times in the middle and he came out and he got rid of anybody that was causing harm to minorities, that was hurting young girls, that was stopping rapers, racists, bigotry. Wouldn't that be nice? And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell y'all, to watch a horror film evolve into that, all because of the mind of a black man, ladies and gentlemen, I was happy. I was impressed. And sometimes you see like movies like this or like you think they're exploiting black culture, right? Like maybe like, yeah, they're killing the white people, but really they're kind of exploiting black culture and our need to see something and be identified with within Hollywood. Maybe that's the case. But... Jordan Peele is married to a white woman. Jordan Peele's in-laws are white. Jordan Peele's future kids, if he has kids already, are half or a percentage of white. Which means that this brother actually has a lot to lose by taking these stances. He probably has to have a lot of hard conversations at the dinner table. Thanksgiving gotta be a motherfucker for Jordan Peele. But we also can know and believe that he is coming from a genuine place with these movies because he has had to deal with it firsthand. He's been in Hollywood. He's had roles turned down. And what's really dope about almost all of his main characters is that there are some type of creators. So you have to feel that there is some type of like funny angst that Jordan Peele has towards these racist white folks like all of us have. And ladies and gentlemen, I just had to shout out that movie real quick because it was great. And it made me imagine what if. What if... 
these hateful people in the world had actual repercussions. What if somebody from Fiji on University of Nebraska's campus raped a young lady and immediately was dealt with and immediately had to answer for his crimes? Now, I'm not saying I just want somebody coming around chopping people's heads off, but imagine if the world worked like that. Because like I said earlier, that's what we tell our kids, right? That's what we tell our youth. That's what that 17-year-old girl's parents told her. The world's safe, honey. College is a great place to be. You're going to learn so much. Your life is going to change for the better when you go to this university, honey. Those are the things parents tell their kids when they go off to college, when they go off to be alone. And yes, we tell them stories of caution. Yes, we tell them to be safe. But you're not going to look your daughter in your eye and say, you know what, baby? There's a good chance you're going to go to this school and get raped because it happens all the time. What parents telling their kid that? None, because you don't want to tell your kid that. You don't want to face that reality. But sadly, that has been the reality for students probably all across America for years. Because this country has shown that we don't have a candy man. We don't have somebody to come in and get rid of racists or rapists or just bad people in general. The people we have entrusted to protect us, to keep our kids safe, have shown time and time and again that maybe that's just not the first priority. Look around us, people. Look around the world right now, what's happening to humans. Not just black people. Not just members of the LBGTQ community. Not just women. Not just small demographics. We're talking about look around the world at what's happening to people. We don't gotta get into everything. We don't want episode 30 to be too dark. But we're going to keep it a buck on this episode like we do on every episode. And everything we've talked about today leads to like a common problem. We got to protect our youth. We got to protect minorities. We got to protect the disenfranchised. But we're, we're looking around asking who's going to do it. Because the people that have been entrusted to do it have failed us time and time and again. And I hope that episode 60, episode 100, we don't have to talk about another rape, another sexual assault on that campus. But I promise you, if there is another one, we're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it because I do feel that these discussions need to happen. They might be uncomfortable. You might have stopped listening a long time ago. But it's important to have these conversations because you have to build awareness. People need to know. And maybe there's somebody that's listening that has a younger sister, a younger brother, or a cousin that's about to go to a university. Not just the University of Nebraska, because like I said, it could be happening anyway. Maybe they listen right now, maybe they think, oh, there's another discussion I need to have. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we don't want to have those discussions with our kids. We don't want to have those discussions with our nieces and nephews. But until a candy man comes around to protect us from these evildoers, we have to have those tough conversations. We have to listen to our kids. We have to listen to these young ladies that say they're in danger. We can't just roll our eyes at them. We can't brush them aside. We can't put money over humanity. We have to continue to have conversation, have dialogue, to be honest. In hopes, in hopes that these rainbow s type stories we tell our kids about equality about safety about humanity about life will actually come into fruition and become reality at the end of the day it's all about the future generations right ladies and gentlemen it's all about the next ones up because the university of nebraska people that have gone to that school the administrators they have failed this generation's kids already it's already happened it's not going to change. But hopefully, by conversation, dialogue, by these people protesting, by people signing that petition, please go sign that petition at Shutdown Fiji on Instagram. Go to the link in the bio. Please sign that petition. By doing things like that, by having conversation like this, hopefully, just hopefully, we can help out the future generations. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 30. Episode 30 of the Out of Character Podcast. We thank you all so much for being here with us, for being a part of this. Out of Character would not be a thing without your support. Because we do have hard conversations. We do talk about wild things. We do discuss things that maybe other people aren't comfortable having discussions about. 
But ladies and gentlemen, that's why this podcast is important to me. That's why creating content is important to me. That's why being in front of the camera, that's why having a voice is so important to me, ladies and gentlemen, because there are so many people out there that need it. There's so many people out there that need a voice and need to be heard. And as long as I'm here, as long as I'm able to do this, as long as God blesses me with this gift, I will always talk about the people that need their voice, man. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 30. Episode 30 of the Out of Character Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brian Colbert. My friends call me BC. You can call me BC too if listening. And if you're listening, we appreciate you for listening. Now, I can't end on a low note. I got to end on a high note with y'all because at the end of the day, we want to inspire we want to make you feel good. We want you to smile when you listen to the Out of Character Podcast. And let me tell y'all, I just have just a story that's going to make your heart melt. Because like we talked about with kids and the youth, man, they are so innocent. They are so kind when this world doesn't taint them. And right now, my son is still at a point in his life where he is just so innocent and just so kind. So while my son was here, like I told y'all before, if y'all have listened to previous episodes, that my son was here for the summer. And sometimes when he was here for the summer, he would be on FaceTime with his family. And at this particular moment, my son was on FaceTime with his mom and they were having a conversation. And a lot of times when he's FaceTiming people, I try to, you know, clean or just get things together and all that. And I think while he was talking to his mom, he was playing in his room and I was trying to help him clean his room and just kind of get things sorted out for him while he was just chilling and, you know, talking to his mom in a good time. And while I'm doing stuff, my son's like, you know, he ain't paying attention to me. He's deep in conversation with his lady. And he's saying, you know, mom, one day, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find somebody to fall in love with. And then we're going to get married. And we're going to be so happy. And my son's just five years old. So my reaction, I didn't see what his mom's reaction was, but my reaction was, hold up, where you get this from? That's a, a little grown. And his mom said something very similar. Like, whoa, where did you get that from? Who did you hear that from? That's a very adult thing to say. And my son, you know, you know, kids take a little minute to kind of focus and figure out what they're saying. But he's like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's what happens in life, right? That's what happens. That's what you do in life, right? That's what people do. They go out into this world. They work hard. And then they find somebody that treats them good, that makes them feel happy, that makes them feel loved. And then they marry them. Isn't that what people do, mom? And this is my son saying this. My five-year-old child. And just like his mother, I'm sitting there thinking, where in the world did you get this from? Where in the world did you hear such a thing, such a beautiful sentiment? Because as much as me and my son talk about life and real stuff, we've never really talked about like that. We're not like, I'm not talking to my five-year-old son about love and marriage. I don't want to confuse the kid. So I'm very interested too, but I'm listening. I don't intervene. I'm still, you know, doing things, acting like I'm clean. I ain't, I'm, I'm listening. I'm locked in right now. And eventually after, you know, talking, you know, kids do be talking. He says, yeah, because that's what my Auntie Des and Uncle Daniel did. And for returning listeners, y'all know that Auntie Des is my sister, my son's godmother. And Uncle Daniel is my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, my son's uncle. And he said, mom, that's what Uncle Daniel and Auntie Des did. They went out into the world, they found each other, they enjoyed each other, and they got married because they're in love. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes, it's adorable. It's amazing, the innocence of kids, to believe in love, right? To believe in true love, to believe without a doubt that every person in this world goes out and finds their soulmate. And my son feels that way because he has the perfect example of love. And to me, it made me just so happy. So happy that my son has that example of what he feels is perfect and true love. And it meant so much to me because that's my sister. That means that my sister has a marriage, has a husband, that my son can look at and say, I want that. He's five years old. He don't know nothing about nothing. Really, you know, he's still learning life. But something about what he sees when he sees that black love that my sister and brother-in-law have makes him say to himself at five years old, that is what I want. He is manifesting true love for himself at five years old. And that's all thanks to the love that God has given my sister and Uncle Dane. And I had to share that with y'all, ladies and gentlemen, because I pray 
that there is a couple in your life that makes you believe in true love. Because ladies and gentlemen, it does exist. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody deserves happiness. Ladies and gentlemen, every child should be able to have something to aim for as beautiful as that. So if you have kids, if you have a niece, you have a nephew, if you have a significant other and they have a niece or they have a nephew, understand that these kids are watching you. Understand that a stranger could be watching you and see you loving on your lady, loving on your man and say, I want that. Because ladies and gentlemen, I'll be very honest with y'all. My views on marriage are very skewed. Granted, my parents have been married for damn near 40 years. They've been married forever. But when you're a kid, you don't always look at your parents as like inspiration. You want to see like other people like doing things. It's just the way kids work sometimes, right? And I'll be very honest, especially growing up with around military families. I didn't see marriage as something that was old to me or something that I knew was going to happen. I didn't see true love as something that really existed. I saw a lot of broken homes. I had a lot of friends who didn't have their dad in the house, that didn't have their mother in the house. They had two separate homes. I'm not sure why it was like that. Maybe it was like that all around the world. But I know that on military bases, for sure, we saw that a lot. Like me having parents that were married was like odd. Like I, my sister probably say the same thing. When we told people, yo, our parents are still married. They're still together. It was like the biggest shock. It was so surprising when a military kid had parents that were still married. So I didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up wanting to get married. I didn't grow up thinking that I was just going to fall in love. But at five years old, my son don't got to worry about that. Because he has my sister and Uncle Daniel. He has his Auntie Dez and his Uncle Daniel to show him that true love exists. And I hope if you are listening, you have somebody in your life that you can attribute your belief in true love to. And I hope you do have it. If you don't have it, listen to this story. Listen to what an innocent, youthful positive mindset is like because a lot of times the world makes us lose that a lot of times we see terrible and awful things happen we hear awful things we get our heart broken people cheat on us people hurt us people commit adultery and all of these things make us feel that you know maybe love ain't for me maybe love ain't in the cause for me but ladies and gentlemen i promise you just like my son you can manifest love into your life you can manifest happiness into your life ladies and gentlemen i had to end on that story because it's such a beautiful story and like i said i hope it gives you that little bit of hope that you may need for that true love. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 30. Episode 30 of the Out of Character Podcast. As always, I am grateful to be here. I am your host, Brian Colbert. My friends call me BC. You can call me BC too if you're listening. If you're listening, we appreciate you for listening. And as always, God bless.